There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hi everyone, welcome Jim the latest edition of The Other Hand, a packed agenda as always. We're not going to be able to get through everything that we need to speak about, so let's do another one very quickly in the next day or two. Obviously, in Ireland, there have been two big pieces of economic news in recent days. The Exchequer returns, still consistent with the idea of a booming economy and booming tax revenues. And I know you want to take us through some of those numbers because they are crucially important. But we've also got an Irish recession at least according to one definition of recession. And that flies in the face of those exchequer returns. One says it's a booming economy. One says it's an economy in recession. And I know that the two of us have got a lot to say about that. It's very important to make sure that everybody understands what they're talking about when we use words like recession or indeed boom. And it's also very important to understand what this might and might not mean for what the Irish economy is doing going forward. If we have time after all of that, I think that I want to have a chat with you about, yet again, energy prices, because there's something slightly different to talk about today compared to the previous discussions we've had, which have been all about falling energy prices. And we're still going to talk about renewed falls in energy prices, which have happened again since we last spoke, but also the importance of the British gas price compared to the European gas price and what that means for inflation and therefore interest rates going forward. If we get time, I'd like to speak a little bit about that. But Jim, we've got these two conflicting pieces of data for the Irish economy, the big, big pieces of data for GDP and exchequer returns. One says boom, one says bust. 
which is the right one. I guess I should apologise before I start because I'm going to throw out a lot of statistics over the next 10 minutes or so, but I hope they sort of clarify, at least from my perspective, what's happening within the Irish economy. Uh, we got the exchequer returns for the first five months of the year up to the end of May. A deficit of 600 million euro was recorded and that compares to a surplus of 1.4 billion in the first five months of last year. However, in February of this year, as we've spoken about in the past, the government transferred 4 billion into the National Reserve Fund. So if, if you strip that out um, and adjust for it, you know, we, we did deliver a significant surplus again in the first five months of the year, which is no surprise given the levels of economic activity we've been looking at, particularly the very strong labour and corporate tax performance. But just to, I guess, describe what happened in the first five months, okay, um, I don't tend to focus too much on what happens on a monthly basis because, you know, there is a lot of volatility from month to month. I, I think the cumulative performance year to date is probably more instructive. But the bottom line is that we collected 33.1 billion in taxation in the first five months. That's up 3.1 billion or 10.2% on the first five months of last year. That is a very strong performance and certainly is indicative of a vibrant level of economic activity and particularly labour market activity. And in that, in that vein, the 13 billion was collected in income tax. That's up 1.1 billion on last year, which is growth rate of 9.4%. So that's just indicative of the fact that uh, employment continues to grow in the economy. And I think most importantly, a lot of the jobs are being created in relatively high paid sectors where a lot of income tax is paid. Not exclusively, but that's it's, it's certainly indicative of the quality of the jobs we're creating here. The second issue is corporation tax, 6.3 billion collected, up 1.1 billion. That's a growth rate of 20.7%. Um, one caveat there is that in the month of May, the corporation tax take was 200 million lower than May of last year. As I say, I, I don't tend to get too carried away with what happens from month to month, the cumulative story. But still, having said that, with a bit of a decline in May, that's one we need to watch. And the third tax heading then is the 10 billion we collected on the VAT front. That's 1 billion or 11.7% up on the same period last year. So that is indicative of a reasonable level of consumer spending. You know, one area where that is certainly feeding true is car sales actually um, in the first five months of the year, I think are up over 17%. So uh, we're selling a lot of new cars this year and every car we sell obviously makes a significant contribution on the VAT and indeed on the VRT front. So that's the exchequer return for the first five months. Does suggest a pretty decent level of economic activity. But then, Chris, we go over to the national accounts data, which the CSO published on Friday. Um, it was the growth performance in the first quarter of the year. The, the headlines that emerged Friday afternoon were suggesting that the Irish economy is in technical recession. I know we're going to go on and talk a little bit about what we mean by technical recession later on, but 
you know, one definition of a technical recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. If I, and indeed, if I might, in that, may I jump in there, Jim, just to just make sure you can, that, Chris, um, yes, of g- course. give you a chance to draw breath. Um, as you say, it is a definition. But the important thing to stress is it's not the definition because the definition of recession does not exist. Um, different countries do it differently. Different agencies like the IMF do it differently. And there is no globally agreed definition of what constitutes a recession. And indeed, different measures, different ways of defining a recession have evolved over the years. I can remember when it used to be the case that if it was a year-over-year decline, so if the economy was smaller today than it was this time last year, that was a definition of recession a long time ago. Nobody uses that one anymore. By convention, and it is only convention, we typically say two consecutive quarters of declining growth of a shrinking economy is a recession. But nobody's passed the law or decreed something that says that that is the right way to think about it. It is a way of thinking about it and always needs to be interpreted with care. It's not even the way they do it officially in the United States, because in the United States, they have something called the National Bureau of Economic Research, where they appoint a committee of the great and the good, who sit and look at a range of indicators in a backward-looking way to declare whether or not the US economy is or has been in recession. And they would employ things like two consecutive quarters of negative growth, but that wouldn't be the only criteria that they use. So when you see newspaper headlines about Ireland in recession, do treat it carefully. Um, It's important when GDP does shrink for two consecutive quarters. It is telling us something, but what it is telling us can vary. And sometimes it's very significant. Sometimes it's merely significant. And sometimes it amounts to nothing at all. And you're about to tell us, Jim, whether it does amount to anything at all in the current circumstances where we have had, on the face of it, on current data, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Now, before you start, I would finally say that in the coming months, we might not have had, we might find that we haven't had two consecutive quarters of GDP because these numbers get revised. And it might well be the case that one of those quarters goes positive, for example, It might not, but the CSO has actually warned that it might. So this is a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of moving parts. But on the face of it, using conventional terms that a lot of people do use and misuse, Ireland is in recession. Tell us whether you think this is significant or not, Jim. The first thing I should say, Chris, is that uh, there are people out there in Twitterland who would welcome this sort of news about Ireland being in recession. But anyway, that aside... Um, we, we have spoken in a very nerdy way over the two two years plus of this podcast about the difficulties in measuring the Irish economy and what's happening in the Irish economy. Um, I go to the quarterly press briefing from the CSO um, when I can. In fact, I didn't get to make this one um, for work reasons, but I go when I can. And my overriding feeling coming out of every press conference is that Jesus, trying to understand what's happening, the official statistics in the Irish economy is incredibly difficult. Um, As we know, the standard metric for measuring the size of an economy is gross domestic product, which is the total value of goods and services produced in an economy in a given time period. 
And in the case of Ireland, um, a lot of that economic activity is generated by multinationals. And at the end of every year, those multinational companies repatriate profits back to their shareholder in the home country, mainly in the United States. And last year, those net profit outflows would have been around 130 billion or thereabouts. Okay, and when you strip that out of GDP, you end up with gross national product. And gross national product was the metric that we tended to focus on in the past in Ireland as a more representative picture of what's happening on the ground in the economy. However, since 2015, even gross national product has become distorted as a measure because we've seen, you know, massive growth in aircraft leasing. We've seen um, a significant inflow of intellectual property assets into the country by the multinational sector, a small number of companies. But those intellectual property assets, when they come into Ireland, um, they do impact the measure of GDP and indeed GNP. Um, and these assets are incredibly valuable. Okay, and they really, really do distort GDP and GNP. And as a consequence of adjusting for those things, um, the CSO has come up with some alternative measures. One is GNI star, gross national income star. Another is modified domestic demand. Okay, so that's the sort of theoretical backdrop to what I'm about to talk about now. But if we look at what has happened GDP, and as I said a little bit earlier, you know, one definition of technical recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And on that front, Ireland qualifies. In the final quarter of last year, GDP contracted by 0.1%. And in the first quarter of this year, it contracted by 4.6%. Okay, so there we have the technical def a technical definition of recession. Um, you are correct to point out that the CSO has warned that particularly in the final quarter of last year, the decline in GDP of 0.1% could very easily be revised in an upward direction. Uh, but that's, uh, I, I guess, engaged in semantics at this stage. If you look at GNP then, um, in the final quarter of last year, it expanded by 5.6% and fell by 8% in the first quarter of this year. So on a GNP basis, Technically, there is not a recession. So I then go on, to, if I haven't lost everybody at this stage, including yourself, Chris, I then want to go on to the modified domestic demand measure. Okay, that really tries to capture what happens demand on the ground in the economy. And there are three components of that. Consumption, you know, what consumers are spending on goods and services, the government's net contribution, you know, the difference between what government spends and takes in in taxation. And the third piece then is modified gross domestic fixed capital formation. That is basically domestic investment by business, including the construction sector in the economy. So it's those measures really tell us what's happening on the ground in the real economy. And in that regard, you know, there, there's interest. OK, I should first of all, I guess, say that modified domestic demand fell by 0.9% in the final quarter of last year, but it increased by 2.7% in the first quarter of this year. 
And the reason why we got that positive growth is that our consumption actually increased by 1.7% during the first quarter, having expanded by 1.6% in the final quarter of last year. Um, but then, okay, so the consumption part is holding up well. And it, it you know, it means that uh, modified domestic demand did expand in the first quarter. The government's contribution is, you know, mildly positive as well. But what happens on the investment side is just total distortion. I, you know, I mentioned about the intellectual property assets that were moved into Ireland since 2015. This is captured in the national accounts as investment in intangible assets. And wait for this. In the final quarter of last year, investment in intangible assets fell by 61.6% and by 35.7% in the first quarter of this year. So it is those big negative numbers that have delivered the GDP contraction we saw. But the domestic components of economic activity, um, particularly on the consumer spending front and indeed domestic investment front, are still growing. So the while GDP suggests that the economy is technically in recession, um, the, the real evidence on the ground shows that the economy actually is still growing quite strongly. And that is backed up by what's happening, the exchequer returns that I've just described. But it also captures what's happening on the labour market, a 3.8% unemployment rate in May, 2.6 million people working in the economy in the first quarter of the year. I, I'm not remotely concerned by the GDP data we see. You know, my, my understanding and interpretation of what's happening on the ground in the economy does suggest an ongoing reasonable level of economic activity. Although I would say, you know, there obviously, and for good reason, has been a deceleration in growth. And if there wasn't, I'd be surprised because um, economic agents here have had to live with the cost of living crisis over the last 12 months. They've had to live with the dramatic increase in interest rates that we've seen from the European Central Bank. That there's probably more to come, but also it does take time for those interest rate increases to feed through the system. Chris, I'll cut it there. I, I hope I haven't put all of our listeners and yourself to sleep at this stage. But um, what I was trying to describe is confusing. And as I say, every time I emerge from the CSO's quarterly national accounts briefing, um, my head is in a spin. Very, very difficult to um, understand what's really happening. And I have said before, and it certainly is the way I try and analyze the economy these days, having made massive mistakes in the past in terms of measuring the economy, I now tend to focus sort of from the bottom up in terms of my analysis, you know, I look at what's happening, various sectors, and I try to build up a picture um, from that. And I, I deal with and talk with every possible agent I can in the domestic component of the economy to find out exactly, you know, what's happening in their particular sector. And I try and build a picture from that rather than looking at GDP and trying to build from the top down. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, yeah, I, I take your point, Jim, and I, I don't think you've sent us to sleep. Certainly not me. Um, I was listening very attentively, trying to you know understand what it is that, that the numbers are actually telling us. And, what is signal and what is noise. If, if I take a step back from all of that and think about the ways in which we are encouraged to think about the Irish economy in terms of what data is hard data, is signal rather than noise, we have the labour market data, as you have rightly stressed. But we're also, I think, as practising economists, we know that the labour market data is very much a lagging indicator. It tells us what's been happening. It's not telling us very much about what is likely to happen. And if uh, when turning points in the economy come, they turn very suddenly for the labour market. The labour market is not a forward-looking indicator of what is likely to happen uh, 12, 24 months out. The exchequer returns, which you've rightly talked about, they're kind of a contemporaneous indicator. They tell us what is actually happening on the ground at the moment, if you like, or at least over the last four weeks. We know what has been going on in May now, and it looks pretty robust uh, with that one wrinkle, which I find very interesting about the corporation tax, not to be overinterpreted, but it's the first time we've seen a lower than expected number, I think, for quite quite some time. I then put all that together and think, what does that tell us, given everything else that we know about the world economy, about what might happen going forward? And there's a couple of things, again, uh, we've talked about before, some new things as well. We've talked about the tech layoffs, which so far have been absorbed in Ireland. Uh, Ireland has been affected by the global layoffs in the tech industry. Um, tech profits, um, that's a really interesting one because we also know that uh, Irish corporation tax revenues are highly concentrated in you know, 10 uh, household names that we know about, not just tech, but they would also include pharma and chemical companies as well. Um, on pharma, it seems that the pharma sector has distorted all those numbers that we talked about just now, GDP. And I find it interesting that as part of the world trade slowdown, it seems there's been a bit of slowdown in pharmaceutical exports from Ireland, which I think is another little piece of information worth keeping keeping an eye on. But to add to the puzzle of the global outlook and therefore the Irish outlook, um, we've also had, uh, on the same day that all these numbers were published in Ireland, a, a gangbusters report on the US labour market. Their uh, bellwether, it's called the non-farm payroll report, somewhat anachronistically. But their employment numbers, again, beat all expectations for the umpteenth month in a row and uh, confounded all of the, the narrative that you and I have spoken about, the, about the US recession that's imminent, and it just never is in the numbers, and it's certainly never in the labour market. So a very mixed bag globally, but it does seem that world trade trade is slowing down. There's a lot of expectations that manufacturing generally is slowing down. I wonder whether pharmaceuticals have joined in on this. So my, my read on this is, um, you know, there isn't enough in any of that to make very precise, confident forecasts for the future. But it strikes me that given that all we know about the lags in the system, 
given that we know that we still haven't felt the full effects of the monetary tightening on both sides of the Atlantic and indeed elsewhere, that headwinds to growth have built up. We're starting to see that in some of the very noisy Irish numbers. And I think that on balance, I would say there's nothing to get too worried about, but um, headwinds are starting to blow a bit and that the, the journey is not going to be quite as plain sailing to push the the metaphor a bit too hard as it has been in the past and so the, the days of gangbuster growth and extraordinary explosions in irish corporation tax revenues are probably over would you agree with those very broad conclusions jim uh yeah i i, I would chris because um we, we have spoken about what happens the exports of um chemical and pharma in the first quarter and you know they were quite weak um, and there are technical reasons for that, I know, but there's certainly a suggestion that the sort of gangbusters growth we saw post-COVID in the in the pharma sector is now starting to abate a little bit. Um, I still think the whole chemical and pharma investment model in Ireland is really, really strong. Uh, but the sort of growth we've seen um, definitely cannot be continued or for for far much longer so um yeah i mean i i would agree with you chris i think uh, the next 12 months will be more challenging and um that's why it is important i think that the national reserve fund the sovereign wealth fund is being contemplated by government because i think this is not a time in the economic cycle where um, public spending is ramped up significantly unless we can ensure that that ramp up in public spending actually delivers um, output and housing being the best example of that. Um, one thing I, I would also like to allude to, Chris, is that a um, a listener to the podcast uh, sent me a personal message on LinkedIn um, in the last couple of days talking about an example of a sort of a, a mid-level accountant in the firm he works with who, because of this person being offered a new job and there was a bit of counter offering going on over a week but that person ended up at the end of the week without changing jobs but earning 50,000 extra okay and this is a mid-level accountant and that just shows you just how mad the labor market is here at the moment and um, you know we've spoken about the my my tweet last week about the unemployment rate and the blowback I got saying that actually the labour market is awful out there etc etc there's very little evidence to support that sort of perspective the labour market is on fire and it worries me because that sort of example that the listener kindly sent me um, does demonstrate a level of um, hubris in the market that you'd have to be concerned about because the last time we would have seen these sorts of stories of course was in the run-up to 2007-2008 when all sorts of nutty things were happening in many different parts of the economy but uh your broad mess your broad conclusion there chris i would agree with that you know the next 12-18 months i think will definitely uh see a deceleration from the very very vibrant growth we've seen over the last couple of years Yeah, thanks, Jim. I'll wrap up what I want to say with two quick remarks about one very speculative and one less so. One of the counters to my argument that uh, the gangbuster days of growth in Irish corporation tax revenues is over is thinking about those companies that form those top 10 
payers of corporation tax, and in particular those top 10 that are the tech companies. In particular, I'm thinking here of Apple and Microsoft. And there is a school of thought that says there are going to be huge winners and huge losers from the AI, artificial intelligence revolution. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but there is a lot of speculation that the trends that we've seen in the world economy in recent years of winner takes all are going to be accelerated by the AI revolution. And best guesses at the moment is that the existing winners will continue to be winners. And that, of course, may or may not prove to be correct. But uh, I would happen to share that view. It's not a you know table-thumping, uh, high-confidence view because I acknowledge the uncertainties. But if there are identifiable winners from the AI revolution, I think AI and Microsoft are pretty obviously uh, going to be beneficiaries for all sorts of reasons, which I won't go into here. Readers might, listeners might remember that although this is not an investment tipping podcast, we do not make investment recommendations. We are not regulated to do so in any way, shape or form. That I merely noted a few months ago that on the basis of that kind of thinking, I was buying some shares in Microsoft. I didn't buy enough. Um, it's up over $100 a share since I bought it. And I'm quite comfortable holding that little uh, holding of Microsoft that I bought back then. Um, and if that's right, and these companies are the huge winners from AI, then Irish corporation tax revenues are very safe, Jim, uh, at least provided that they continue to declare them in the jurisdiction of Ireland. Uh, so I think that's one very, very interesting scenario that we need to keep an eye on going forward. The second thing I want to mention very briefly is the inflation interest rate outlook on the back of energy price moves we have spoken many times about the fall in natural gas prices in Europe. One of the things that we haven't spoken about is the fall in natural gas prices in the UK. And we've said about those European EU natural gas prices that they have fallen enormously, 90-something percent since their peak just under a year ago, um, and commented about how that has not yet translated into falls in our energy costs. That's obviously a big bugbear of ours. But in the UK and Ireland, where a lot of our listeners to this podcast actually reside, it's the UK natural gas price that's important. And there, unlike the European price, the natural gas price wholesale in the UK has fallen back to historic levels. It's back to where it was for years and years and years, give or take. And the UK is where Ireland buys most of its gas imports from, if not all of them, actually. And uh, so there is absolutely no reason, as far as I can tell, other than the usual leads and lags in the system for energy prices to collapse going forward in both Britain and um, in, in Ireland at the consumer level. So that leads to great conclusions for inflation. Inflation will collapse a lot faster than people think. I see Cliff Taylor in the Irish Times has a very good article about that very point today, I think it is. Um, and Martin Sanbu has been writing about team transitory, that thing from all that couple of years ago that people um, said that inflation would be transitory. He's saying, well, actually, that was right. Just look at the energy price. So that's all from me, Jim. I don't know whether you've got anything to add there, mate. No, I haven't, Chris. Um, I think that's a broadly positive story you've ended up with there today. Oh. And um, let's, let's just see how the European Central Bank responds to all of that. So, Chris, great to talk again. And I look forward to talking to you shortly. Likewise, Jim. Cheers. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. 
hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. 